here's the guy with a lot of talent, but no brain. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Wolf Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Today's world is one of alternative facts. Up is down, black is white, day is night, Rooney is shite. Or that's what some people would have you think. But you are smarter than the average bear. You would not be fooled into believing those untruths. After all, here's a man who has broken the scoring record for a club and country while at the same time winning numerous amounts of trophies and keeping up a career as a boxer, a professional wedding guest and a granny... Uh, entertainer. Yeah, that'll do. Here to talk about all of that and more is Danny Isroff. Good morning. Andre Gonzalez. Hi. Both of the One Football Newsroom team. And from Deutsche Welle to your ear, it's Nick McKenna-Klein. Hello. Before your senses get dulled, dear listener, by the next 30 minutes or so of football chat, let's ask for a quick favour from you. Wherever you might be in the world, there is an iTunes store at the end of your fingertips. Go there, give us a rating and let us know what you think. It would, as ever, be most appreciated. Now... Onto the big topic of the day. Last weekend saw Wayne Rooney rescue a point from Manchester United against Stoke with a wonderful late strike. A goal that means he is now the club's top scorer with 252 his name. But rarely has a player divided opinion in the way that Rooney has, especially over the last few seasons. He does have one fan at least though in Zlatan Ibrahimovic, said the Swede. Everybody knows what Wayne is, but this country has to appreciate him. I don't see any other strikers like him today. Give me some names. He's a complete player. It's a big thing, you know. Many great players have been here and his name is right on top. I'm very proud to have been on the same field as him when he did it and hopefully he can continue to do what he's doing. Off the field, he's a real leader and on the field, he's just complete. Danny, Andre, Nick, are you all behind Rooney like Ibra is? Well, not quite. I mean, what's he going to say as his teammate? He's hardly going to say, yeah, he's a bit overrated. He's... First years were his best. He hasn't been very good for a few years. So so that's kind of expected. He has said good words about him in the past, though. Yeah, I feel like he, he's just nice about a lot of players. Slatan. But anyways, that's okay. that's another discussion. Yep. Uh, my, my two cents on Rooney is that he, he's been a very good player for a very long time, but he's rarely ever been world-class. And the impressive thing about his achievements is the longevity and the consistency and not necessarily... The, the very, very high quality. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sort of expecting somebody to come up against it here. Dre, come on, I, give, I, give I, it to I, me. I can, I can defend Wayne Rooney uh, a bit on this one, um, but I agree with Danny in, in one point. He was world-class for probably three, four seasons. After, after that, I think it was uh, good enough to be considered by the English media as a top player, which is a bit different uh, from... Uh, being a top, a world-class player. Right, when we, when are you putting his world-class years down as? World-class? I think it was between 2008, 2012, maybe. Um, there were two seasons when he scored around 25, 26 goals. Hmm. Uh, that is that is top class. Uh, but that he, he scores an average of uh, 13, 14 goals per season. Um well, he has 50, he's 15 goals um, or more every year at United, apart from 2014 or 2015. Yeah, but to counter that, he's only scored 20 goals in the league twice. And Harry Kane uh, has also scored 20 goals twice and will get there again this season. So, I mean, that kind of shows as a goal scorer, is he up there with the best goal scorers? No, but he's more, I think what people tend to forget with Rooney is that he's a more complete player than just a goal scorer. 
I th- uh, along with uh, Ryan Giggs and Frank Lampard, he's the third player in the Premier League era to reach 100 assists. I think that's that's a decent uh, aspect and a decent stat uh, in his defence. And I think if you look at his position over over the years, he's been able to like during during the Ronaldo time, he's been able to dig in and you know play that wide player in front of that in in that roving three. He's played as a ten. He's played as a number nine. I think that. That stands him in good I mean, stead. He is playing as a ten, but he's not a ten, and we can all uh, spot that. A false ten. It's uh, yeah, you, you can you can call it that. An untruth ten. I, I would say that uh, Man United would be way better with a different kind of ten. Um, but uh, but what what he did is 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 amazing. Uh, is the, the top scorer for the club, and he scored fifty three goals for the the national team, which is impressive in hundred and nineteen uh, caps. Um, but it's been around for uh, 13 seasons now. Yeah, for a long time. And I think yeah. just to go back to the point about his all-around game, I, I think it was very good in the beginning. I think there was a point where he kind of lost his legs and his mobility. And you remember when when Sir Alex Ferguson benched him against Real Madrid in the in the Champions League? He, mm-hmm. he and his his re- reasoning was that Danny Welbeck was a better player in that sort of number 10 position in terms of what they were trying to do in, in that game. And I think that's been true for a few seasons that he's actually hindered Manchester United with his lack of mobility and his his technique has deserted him a bit I think he he once he's lost the ability to go past players which was a huge uh, quality of his in his early years he really lost his his edge and has never recovered it I think the problem was has been he was considered a true goal scorer although he never really was right I mean he had a phase when he was scoring goals but he was never exactly. been a true, true goal scorer and he was saying and he's played in different positions throughout his whole his whole career he's never been the striker he's been the winger he's been he's played behind the striker and that's I think that's also something to, to keep in mind I've got I mean Wayne Rooney for me is, was the very first player because um, he became professional so young he's only about a month older than I am and uh, so yeah and that was because you know usually around 18 when <laughs> the first professional you know kids become professionals and he was 16 I was like shit yeah. I'm 16 why can't I be a professional footballer so I've always had Wayne Rooney in my life since I was about 16 and and I've kind of followed him and over over time I mean at the beginning I found it amazing how that first game against Fenerbahce when he scored the hat-trick mm-hmm. and I thought at the time, he was going to be the next big thing. And I think that's that's the problem as well. He was hyped. He was hyped to be the next big thing, even though he couldn't really have become, as he wasn't the striker, which people thought he was, um, he couldn't really become that next big thing. And, and I think considering how he's had to play and how he has played, he's done he's done damn well. But now he's, when he's 31, I know from experience, I'm 31 too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's lost his legs. And I think, you know, he's time to call it a day. Now he's got his records. But it's, I, it's kind of weird to see someone uh, at the age of 31 looking like he's 36. Well, it's because he started so young. I mean, he has so many games and so many years under his belt. And I think you see it with Cesc Fabregas is another example. Players who start young decline younger as well. Think mm. about it. I mean, it's, f- it's 15 years. Well, it's a long time. Yeah. It's 15 years he's been playing the professional game. How does it feel when you see Wayne Rooney described as like over the hill or old, knowing that you are just a month, uh, a month apart? Um, well, Wayne Rooney and I follow different career paths. Yeah. So um, I feel... It's a nice optimistic... Yeah, yeah. That's the only way I can look at it. <laughs> if I was a footballer, of course, I'd feel it'd, it'd be pretty, pretty depressing. Um, I'm lucky that I'm, um, I'm a journalist and I've got you know quite a long career ahead of me and I don't have to worry about it. But I think if I was a footballer... Maybe playing in a different position, I'd think, oh dear. Right. 
In those in those 15 years that we mentioned, there's five Premier League trophies, an FA Cup, uh, two League Cups, four Community Shields, for what they're worth, a Champions League, a FIFA World Club Cup, captain of country, captain of club, lead scorer for both, as we said before. Uh, now, Barney Rooney was writing in The Guardian, he said, Rooney's combination of trophies and goals makes him the most influential player in English football of the last quarter century. Is that a, is that a big statement to make or does that, does that make sense to people? Uh, most influential I'll say it again most influential player in English football over the last 20, quarter of 25 years 25 years I there's, would say that's, there's nobody there that can challenge him uh, when it comes to numbers yeah it's it's not easy to do it yeah it's. It, I would say that probably yeah we're talking about English football or, English football yeah uh, we can talk about Ryan Giggs on, on that pack I think yeah. that, that a name like Ryan Giggs pops uh, right on when it comes to uh being yeah. influential in the in the last quarter of, of century, but, but he wasn't he wasn't English, and I think yeah, that kind of speaks to my earlier point in terms of longevity. This is it's a it's an unbelievable accomplishment, just to and I think that's really his his greatest accomplishment. In fact, is to be good enough to play for Man United in England for 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 that period of time, and that's there's no one who's going to match that. I mean, that uh, you, just the way football is, is these days, you can't see it happening happening again anytime soon. Um, and yeah, I think you have to give him unbelievable credit for that. Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. I, there were some better players than, than him, but when it comes to numbers and longevity, as as you, as you said, it's really hard to, to beat that. Steven Gerrard is the only one who comes close for me. Um, yeah, but Steven he, Gerrard, he didn't, Frank, he didn't win as no, much. So there's yeah. no, Frank there's, Lampard? The lack of trophies. Mm. Won a lot of trophies, scored a lot of goals, set up a lot of goals, very consistent. Yeah, but Lampard might be... On, on Poss- that possibly, yeah. It's easier yeah. to look at um, Rooney's numbers, I think, because he is obviously more of a striker mm-hmm. uh, and and has yeah, better, but the number, better the, goal scoring. And the, the number of goals that Lampard score yeah, from for, midfield for, for midfield is yeah, absolutely really amazing. So. Over a hundred, in yeah, the league, in the league alone, yeah, 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 easily, easily. So, so I was a bit disappointed, lads. I thought somebody was going to come out. Well, and you say, know what the problem was. Yeah, We're, we don't have Fabian in this week, <laughs> so we would have got a, a very strong defense of Wayne Rooney. Okay. One of the amazing things I dug up in my research uh, for talking about um, Ronaldo, or Ronaldo, uh, Rooney, <laughs> was that the the year after he joined Manchester United for 27 million, Chelsea paid 21 million for Sean Wright Phillips, <laughs> who scored four league goals across four seasons. Yeah, I mean, you can do that, but City paid something like 25 million for Aguero. And in, in my opinion, he's been a much... Uh, better player in his time there than, than Rooney has in his time at United. Okay. I, so we all think that history will will look back and smile on Wayne Rooney's time at Manchester United then whenever, I mean, there's lots of talk of China and all that sort of nonsense. Absolutely. But we, we think he'll look back and smile on it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are loads of ups and downs, but I think in the lot, eventually, you know, when you do look back at it, Rooney's done a load of good for the for the club, and a lot of, he's done a lot of good in his career, and that's that's the way people are going to look at it. They right. won't see the negatives. Speaking of Manchester United, it's twenty two years to the day that Eric Cantona jumped into the Crystal Palace crowd. Do you remember this at all? Vaguely, Vaguely. Was, I mean, I don't remember it happening. I wasn't. I don't remember watching the game. Um, I remember my mother watching BBC News and being quite upset and calling him a disgusting footballer. Um, <laughs> Your mother's not Jonathan Pierce, is no, it? No, okay. no. <laughs> um, but I mean, that was that was around the time when I was starting to get into football and starting to really watch it. And I remember, I mean, he he had his ban, and when he came back, I was quite amazed by 
how Cantona played. That was the first time I really appreciated what kind of a footballer he was, minus the Kung Fu skills. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the game against Liverpool, the two-all draw. Yeah. yeah I, love, I mean, in, in the end, I, I loved watching Cantona play. Yeah. And he was, he, I mean, he comparing him to Rooney, the effect that Cantona had on that team is probably even bigger than Rooney just because he had a huge effect on the players from that youth team. So let's say the young, the, mm. the Beckhams, the Skulls, the Butts, exactly. the Geeks, mm. and that is the dynasty which Manchester United have, not Wayne Rooney. And Cantona was really important. Yeah, I, they've all got countless stories of how he completely inspired them with this extra training, etc. Yeah, for, for the sake of history and documentaries, Cantona is unbeatable. You, you, can, you cannot, there is no Rooney for, for that Cantona. He certainly gives more interesting quotes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, about the the kung fu, um, mm-hmm. I, I I wasn't watching, but I remember that I I spot that on the news yeah. later on that day, and my father said that oh, here's a guy with a lot of talent but no brain, <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was kind of right when it comes no brain in the means in, that means that uh, it was kind of crazy, just yeah. that. It's but in, it's interesting how our parents have a negative view on footballers. <laughs> <laughs> well. I, my parents, I was asleep that night. I, I have a very vivid memory of this, of this whole incident. I was asleep that night. My, yeah, whatever had happened, uh, we didn't have the TV, you know, we didn't have like a proper TV to see it or anything like that. It was, you know, the, the highlights were on late. And um, my parents sort of debated about whether to wake me up or not to show me. <laughs> um, didn't wake me up. And then I had to go into school the next day and find out from somebody else. And I felt like such a loser. <laughs> I, I, wasn't, I wasn't up on all the news. Who didn't have Twitter or anything? It explains a lot. It does explain a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, that's enough Manchester United chat for now. Now, Danny, the last time you were on, you were all very excited about the Africa Cup of Nations. There are just two more group games to go uh, with Egypt taking on Ghana and Uganda doing the same with Mali on Wednesday night, though the latter game could possibly end up being irrelevant. Now, one newspaper and Gabon has deemed this all Le Grand Flop. The whole tournament. Yeah, the whole I tournament. Think, I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think has I read be, that. Has it been that I think, for you? Uh, no, I think that was more a reference to, to Gabon, um, both the, 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 the team and the fans mm-hmm. um, and sort of how they've put on the tournament a little bit. But uh, I think it's been a mixed bag. It, it hasn't been the the fireworks show that I might have hoped for, but there's been some really good football, some some fantastic goals, uh, some some crazy moments, but then also the 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 quality of the pitches has has put a bit of a damper on the quality of the the football, and then the crowds have been really poor. Quite so, literally, put a damper on. Yes, them. yes, yeah. exactly, and mm-hmm. uh, the crowds have been quite poor as well, more poor even than a than a regular Africa Cup of Nations, and I think. Overall, it's probably the jury's still out. Let's say okay. The the crowds is sort of interesting, isn't it? That they, I I, I know you have the answer to this. Yeah. Why uh, why there aren't as many cr- so it's crowds a, at the it, games? It's a combination of different things. First of all, it's it's never a tournament that's very highly attended. I mean, the the culture of African football, the way they consume football is mostly European football. It's mostly mm-hmm. through televisions and sitting in bars, and there isn't much of a culture of going to games. Um, you know, people can't travel is very expensive and difficult. You don't get traveling support like you would at a European tournament. Um, so it's never very highly attended. And then um, also the the fact that it, it's it's in Gabon, they have a little political tension at the moment. There's sort of these rumors that the opposition has told people not to go to the games. That might be keeping people away. The weather, 
the the location some of the stadiums are very far away from sort of major cities mm-hmm. um the and, fact that the home team are not and, that good and, exactly and the fact that it, it was there a few years ago um i think that's all come together and the 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 crowd support has been pretty disappointing except in games where there are big um expat or immigrant communities like the when mali played mm-hmm. they had a fantastic crowd because there are lots of malians in uh, in gabon okay uh we mentioned uh gabon one of their struggles and that well their struggles and Aubameyang struggles have been one of the stories so far yeah absolutely I think uh, one of the few stories of teams that we expected to do better it's Gabon is one of the teams we highlighted uh, before the tournament and they just crashed out and Aubameyang I think will be the most disappointed of of anyone if you saw him leave the leave the match when when they were knocked out he just looked very dejected and frustrated maybe he um, was thinking about that miss yeah, the the miss he 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 didn't really show up. He scored a couple goals, but but overall didn't didn't lead them. They lost uh, Mario Lamina, who was one of the players I, I picked out mm-hmm. um, to injury in the first game, and and never really got going, which is a, a shame. What about the curse of the holders? Yeah, it it seems to happen every time that the 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 champions either don't qualify for the next tournament or get knocked out in the group stage, um, and. Uh, I think Ivory Coast, obviously we talked about it a bit, they lost some of the older generation in the Torre brothers and Drogba and just weren't able to, to mesh together. I think Michel Doucier, who's the the manager, was way over his head. He he never found a system that, that could create opportunities. It looked like sort of every man for himself in a mm. way. Um, and, and yeah, another big, big disappointment, and that's been one of the stories of the of the tournament. So but far. nice, undone by their old manager too, by Hervé Renard. Who, listen, I wasn't super convinced about Morocco before, but the the guy's a magician. Uh, he just <laughs> understands the the, the tournament. Um, he's he's won it with Zambia. He's won it with Ivory Coast, and and Morocco have looked really solid, really disciplined, and now I think they have every chance to go on and win it. Okay. Any other stories you'd like to highlight before I get some? more wild predictions from you yeah I mean there's the other the Algeria is the other massive disappointment who we didn't mention oh yeah sort of an, another story of manager not really getting everything getting the best out of out of the talent available he's since resigned too has he uh, he has yeah yeah, yeah they've, they're gonna have to figure that situation out and then um, yeah the other nice thing is just some of the smaller teams that we talked about uh, Zimbabwe's and, and Guinea-Bissau even if they haven't qualified just coming out and playing some really good football uh, and, and and making exciting things happen especially Zimbabwe I love Zimbabwe but <laughs> Zimbabwe was one of the ones I wanted to raise with you because when we were chatting to you before you'd sort of put them down as potential quarterfinalists as, yeah dark, uh, dark horses I, listen I think they, they showed very well for themselves just to um, just to the, clarify, they finished bottom of the group at one point. Well, but they they drew they drew <laughs> against Algeria and had a bunch of chances to to uh, win that game at two one up. Um, played played very well, scored some some of the most memorable goals of the of the tournament. Um, ultimately, they just can't defend for for anything, and that was their undoing. But um, yeah, that's 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 been a, an exciting part is the smaller teams sort of catching up to the the bigger teams. Okay, well the quarterfinals will be Burkina Faso v Tunisia, and yet undecided opponent against Morocco. Though it looks like it will be Ghana, yep. Senegal v Cameroon, and Dior Congo v Egypt. Egypt yeah. is what I would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to give us a preview for that? For for any of those fixtures, for, or how do you, how do you see them working out? Yeah, I think um, the the 
First one's interesting, Burkina Faso against Tunisia. Both sort of have done reasonably well unexpectedly. Um, I would go with Burkina Faso in that one. Uh, I think the Senegal have looked fantastic. I, I don't think they'll have too much trouble with with Cameroon. Sadio Mane is playing really well. Um, and and, and uh, then some of the other games can go either way. I mean, I just mentioned Morocco. Ghana still have a very strong squad. Um, so they'll probably be favorites there. And DR Congo have played exceptionally well. And then uh, there's still Egypt. So really sort of where we kind of, uh, like I was saying the last time, it's still really anyone's game at this point, which is uh, which is amazing. DR Congo have played some of the better football of this tournament. They have. Some of their goals have been uh, ha- have been really magnificent. And um, yeah, the, the top scorer... Um, Kobayanga is playing, uh, has three goals. Uh, Kamananga, who, who uh, plays out in Kazakhstan, which is crazy. Yeah, but he's spent um, a lot of time in Belgium. Yeah, so. but um, he's... Uh, How do you even know that? Uh, he played for Cercle Bruges, I think. He did. That's a, yeah. Yeah, not even the biggest club in Bruges. That's very, <laughs> very good. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been fantastic. They've had a, f- had a fun team to watch and done some excellent uh, goal celebrations as well. So that's always good. <laughs> oh, and, uh, they've been doing the dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's them. Has been enjoyable, all right. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll come back to you again. I'm not going to try predict a winner this time because my, no? my winner's already out of the tournament. I'm 0 for 1. So. We'll, give you, we'll give you another shot at it if you like. Um, at this point, I'm going to have to go with Senegal. Dre? Ghana. Ghana? Yeah. You think they're going to overcome Morocco, well, they still have to co- Morocco or Congo? One of, one of those. Okay. Yeah. Do you not see Congo winning? I see Congo winning. Why not? Yeah, they've been playing good stuff. The thing is, normally teams that play attacking football don't always make it, but we'll see. We'll you see. Were, you were making the point to me the other day that you feel the tournament has been Europeified a bit. Yeah, I think a, a little bit. You're seeing some of the, especially earlier in the tournament, we're seeing some lower scoring games. I think African football's, like, like football anywhere else, really, is going through globalization. More and more players in Europe. I mean, you look at Algeria and Guinea-Bissau, for example, the, the teams are practically all players who are either born or developed in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it comes out looking a bit more like the Euros than the AFCON of old. Now, next Tuesday, alongside a full round of Premier League fixtures, sees the January transfer window come to a close. Gentlemen, we can talk about that transfers uh, in a few minutes. First of all, I actually have a serious question for you. Is a good manager worth more than two players? Take it away, Andre. A good manager um, is worth more than 10 players in time. I'm, I'm thinking in the sort of transfer window uh, what? state of mind. On, on, uh, when it comes to uh, money, in the, the, the investment you make on, on a manager or in two players? Is, is this what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. I think I think that having a good manager is like fifty percent of um, of the outcome of the season, and the way he works the team, it's um, he, there are no two players that can match that. To be honest, I mean, managers if the manager can motivate bad players, I mean. I think Ranieri was just voted best best coach for last year, right? I mean, he had a lot to do with Leicester winning the, the Premier League last season. Granted, there's some good players in that in that squad, but they're not all world class. And I think a lot of it had to with, to do with him being a good motivator, or at least the the players at least seemed to like him last season. Not so sure about this season. Um, <laughs> and that is a, it makes a huge difference if you have a manager who can who can 
get in touch with the players who can, who can who's on the same wavelength, you can make 10, 11 awful players all of a sudden become contenders. And that's, it doesn't matter. You can buy a world-class player, but if you can't, don't have the right manager to get the team working around him or to get the team working at all, it's worth nothing. Yeah, and we're not talking only uh, about winning trophies. We're talking about... Uh making a team look better you know sometimes you, you just need uh, something to step up a little bit and uh with two or three players you, you cannot make it but with a good manager oh yeah it works but the, the counter argument to that is like real madrid for example do we think zidane's a managerial genius or do we think i could go into real madrid tomorrow and do almost as well as he has i think i like, think he's i think he's good I think I think Zidane yeah. is good, but I think he also has that wavelength of the players. He understands them better than 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 uh, anybody else would. He was one of the Galacticos. He, he understands what it is to be a world class player and have lots of expensive players bought in around him. So I think he understands what's going on. So what you're saying there is that it's important that the manager sort of vibes with the clubs and the players. Absolutely, yes. that's yeah. that's a big value too. Yeah. yeah, and that makes a huge difference. I think that's why another reason why Benitez didn't work out. I mean, the fact was he had these these huge, really expensive, really fantastic players. You just didn't know how to deal with them. And Good. Zidane, having come out from that situation, having been one of the best, knows exactly how to deal with it. Which well, a bit reminds me a bit of the uh, Tata Martino at Barcelona, when they when Barcelona had say somebody that they really respected in charge, like uh, like uh, Pep or um, what's the guy that came after Pep? Tito or Tito, yeah, or Tito. Then it rang like the team ran like clockwork, and they won everything. Then this Tato Martino fellow comes in. He's got these odd-looking suits. Uh, his hairs from the nineteen eighties. I, I know that that sounds ridiculous, but I I bet footballers take that on on some level. They do. It uh, it has a lot to do with uh, with respect and body language and the yeah. way you deal with the press and all that. Uh, you you trust on the guy or you don't trust him. And and uh, it, it sometimes it's just you just need. Two weeks of work with someone to uh, to fill that, hmm. and I think with with Tata Martino and, and Rafa Benitez, it was a it was a lack of respect. Right, they were not respected by the, the the team. Where you know when Mourinho when Mourinho comes in, he's very eager to show that he's you know Biggie or Billy Big Bollocks, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> you know that I nice think you know he's got he's got the really nice suits. He's got the good watch, his hair is in place. I really think a lot of these things, this image and, and how they put themselves across really matters to players. Yeah, I think it's a respect. I mean, look at Bob Bradley coming into Swansea. And right, I think that's the, a good, yeah, the, the a reaction, good point. The reaction from the players was, well, who on earth is this guy and what has he ever done? Yeah. And he never played professionally. Right. You know, and it, you have to have a certain, you have to uh, demand a certain amount of respect from the players, otherwise the whole system doesn't work. Right. And the, 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 the basically, I don't want to say crucifixion, but the abuse that Bradley got for using a couple of American yeah. terms, it's just unreal. Yeah, no, it was. I think. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it's, no, uh, go ahead. I think it's yeah. also an ego thing. I mean, uh, you need to have an ego. I mean, Mourinho, yeah, yeah, his sure. ego is what what's what helps him be the great manager that he is mm -hmm. to get the players to to play for him. Uh, if he didn't have that, they wouldn't do it. I mean, he didn't play he completely. Agreed. He didn't really play yeah. professionally. Completely um, good, and that's the only way that he's managed to to win over his players because he's a might have bleep this out, but he's a dick. Yeah, and um, <laughs> in a nice way. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But that's 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 how he's achieved what he's achieved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would anybody feel about a managerial transfer window? In the same way that you, you can only change your players at certain times, 
You can only I, change your manager at certain times. I, I, I would agree with that, but only for Palermo. <laughs> just, just Palermo. Did, did you see he he resigned yesterday? Yeah, I saw that. Now I think they're gonna ten. What's it like? Ten managers in in the last year? I think it was nine. Yeah, crazy. About the 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 transfer window, I don't agree with the transfer window for for managers. No, um, no, uh, a manager is is absolute absolutely key in a in a whole um, scheme of a team, and if things are not working. You cannot uh, you cannot stand two months of things not working. It's impossible. So um, it's, it is so important in the structure that if things are not working, it, it's got got to go away. Yeah, but if your left back is not working, you have to. You have another left back. You can try yeah, that's, uh, that's lots of different difference. things. You have a lot of backups. So what happens, for example, if the the manager has a, a mental health problem? And then what, you can't replace him because it's not in the transfer window. If that happens to your left back, it's fine because you have youth players, you have whatever. Right. With a manager, it's just logistically, it's not possible. I feel like something like that, you might be able to make an exception. There's too much at stake. That's the thing. I mean, if things aren't going well, then you need to make a change. And this, this, if you get relegated, you lose so much money. And that's vital to a club. If you, I mean, you were saying with left back, you can replace the left back. You've got a UT player who can somehow fill the void. If the manager's awful... And your, your team is looking like you're going to be relegated. The last thing you need to do is wait for a managerial tra yeah. transfer window to get someone new in to make a difference. You can get relegated for for having a bad manager. You cannot get relegated for having a bad le uh, left back. Hmm. Okay, that's me told. <laughs> right. <laughs> last week we briefly chatted about the most ridiculous transfer story so far this January. But does anyone want to nominate some of the better ones? My own one is Simone Zaza to Valencia. <laughs> why why no, why did I'm, you pick i'm just being mean I'm you're just being, being mean. mean yeah no, you, you can be mean to valencia right now i can yeah uh, and to zaza and to zaza yeah why uh, because everything is a mess with valencia you can be mean to them and they don't care about it oh it's been a mess for years though <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 okay some of the better transfers out there anyone want to nominate well i think uh, actually i've been shocked by the number of like good reasonable deals for all parties that have happened in <laughs> you associate no you associate the january transfer window with like andy carroll for 35 million euros yeah, like desperate moves and yeah th things things like that but really they've been uh, i think um schneiderlin to everton makes a lot of sense traxler to psg makes a lot of sense um jose font to, to west ham i like uh, de la feu to to milan that's just yeah. happened there's just a lot of good reasonable transfer yeah. business being done Berry, it looks like suddenly, yeah, you know, <laughs> finally, it looks like suddenly there are a lot of reasonable people on football. Yeah. Uh, that's a new thing. It is. It it's is amazing. Uh, there's also Alexander Isak to Dortmund. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a. Um, how was he? Seventeen. It's a bit of a Swedish wonder kid. People are saying he's like he's going to be the next Slatan Ibrahimovic, uh, and for ten million euros. I mean, I find that to be a lot of money, but in the current market we find ourselves in, I think that's a decent deal. Um, he made a Sweden debut earlier this month against the Ivory Coast. Um, and he scored. Well, that was in the second game. So he's the second youngest ever debutant for, for Sweden. And yeah. four days later, he scored of his first goal against Slovakia. At 17. At 17. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this play is... It's, it's a record already. Yeah. It was a 105-year-old record. That's that he broke. It's it's insane. Um, he he's he's got a great touch. I was watching his goals from that game, but I also watched two goals he scored against Joe Gardens in the in the in the Twin Derby, uh, in Sweden. That was also <laughs> Twin Derby. Yeah, um, you've had a bit of time on your hands there, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Joe Gardens and AIK were both founded th within three weeks of each other. Ha! Huh. 
And, oh, that's and, the thinking behind it. Yeah, that's okay. why it's called because they're, so they're twins. That? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on his seventeenth birthday that that game, that that derby back in September, and he scored two goals. And you can see that he's got he's got pace, he's got precision, he's got really good instinct. He just knows when to run. He 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 plays off his teammates. So when they do a run, he 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 knows where to run. It's, it's you don't see that normally in a seventeen-year-old. You see them making mistakes, and the way he moves, it really is similar to Slat. I mean, this kid's six foot three. But he manages to extend his leg to about ten feet long to be able to get a ball <laughs> while he's running. It's insane. Sladan uh, does have that quality. Actually. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly it. You can yeah. be in a wall somewhere, and all of a sudden you've got this lanky leg coming out from nowhere and getting the ball. Yeah. Um, I mean, Real Madrid were in for this kid. Um, granted, there's a transfer embargo, but going to Dortmund's a good deal for him. Dortmund's become a very good team for youth players, or young players to to, to develop. Uh, I mean, Lewandowski was a little bit older when he went to Dortmund, but that's where he became the striker that he is. Hormels as well, Goetz for the first time around. Uh, Nui Shahin, before he went to Real Madrid, was also a really good mm-hmm. youth player. And also now they've got Dembele and, and uh, Pulisic, for example, who are developing at Dortmund. So I think for him, moving to Dortmund's a good thing. And for Dortmund, it's definitely a um, foundation for, for a team to build around for the next couple of years. Well, it's a foundation for Bayern to Bayern to do well from in a, in a couple of years. Uh, my, my, my sort of question is, is that... Is there any sense that the Dortmund fans are annoyed by this? They keep buying these great young prospects when, to me, it seems quite obvious that they just need a certain amount of experience, especially in midfield. It would, that, it, must be, that must be a bit frustrating for Dortmund fans. It, it, I'm sure, well, it is. I'm sure, well, I'm not a Dortmund fan, so I can't really feel for them, but I can mm-hmm. imagine it is. Of course it is. Um, and it's especially difficult when you've got another team in the league who keeps buying, buying or at least waiting for your players to contract to run out so they, mm-hmm. can, so they can grab them. Because um, I see Bayern have got a, a, quite a healthy mix of, okay, maybe a bit of an over-reliance on Robin and, and uh, Ribery, but in general, they've got a nice mix of young players, mature players, and ex- really experienced players. Dortmund don't have that. Yeah, the, thing, the thing is, I mean, the way I see it is just that Bayern have always managed to get, to buy good young players from their rivals because they've always had the financial muscle to do it. They've managed to get youth players through their own, through their own system because it's a pretty good system, but the better youth academy in Munich is actually 1860, in my opinion. You've got great players like Julian Weigel, for example, the Bender brothers, they came from 1860. They're not from the Bayern's youth system. Um, so yes, granted, we, we, Dortmund, Dortmund would enjoy having a better midfielder, but I don't, they don't seem to have the persuasion power that, that, that Bayern have. And Bayern has just managed to, even if, like Zula, Zula Niklas Zula and, and uh, Rudi, who they got for the next season, mm-hmm. they're just buying the best players from any sort of competition. I mean, if they say, if those two players stayed at Hoffenheim, where would Hoffenheim be next year? Maybe they could be challenging. I mean, right now they're third or fourth. They could really be challenging consistently for the Champions League. And Bayern just for years, for decades, have always been buying the best players from their competition and making sure, just to make sure they always win. You mentioned uh, Hoffenheim there, of course, plastic derby this weekend against Leipzig. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Game to watch in the Bundesliga this weekend, no? It is indeed, because Leipzig's sporting director is Ralf Raniak, who was uh, Hoffenheim's coach when he brought them from, from the regional leagues what, eight, nine years ago um, up to the Bundesliga. So it's going to be interesting... Because classic football fans, especially let's say Dortmund fans or teams who have this huge history, they don't particularly like Leipzig. We've had this conversation mm. before because they don't have any history. And the same was with Hoffenheim. So Leipzig are essentially Hoffenheim 2.0. Mm. Um, and the fact that they're both doing so well this season, it's going to be a really interesting interesting game this, uh, this weekend. Last time out was match day one. It was a 2-2 draw. Probably be similar this weekend, actually, just because they're both very similar teams. Very, very young, very... Uh, aggressive and, and fast and so it would be an exciting game to watch Trey you had something you wanted to say about transfers um, I, I wanted to say uh, a couple of things about transfers but before that um, still on the Dortmund uh, chapter 
uh, they uh, on the business business perspective, mm-hmm. what what the Dortmund are doing at the moment is is fantastic. It, it, it is what a lot of clubs uh, should do at the moment uh, because the their revenues are not as high as 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 uh, Bayern. So they need to find a different way of uh, capitalizing their players. And they are doing that in a brilliant way, but as you said, um, they're not winning trophies, mm. um, and and that's that's a problem. But we know that um, they don't expect to win anything this season, so they are building up something for the the years to come. And uh, we can judge them, and we can judge uh, Dortmund's project in a couple of years. And now I would say it's it's a bit too too early to to do it. But it's kind of frustrating to see a team with a lot of talent not qualifying for the Champions League. And that might happen this season. It's a real thing. It might happen. And that would be a big failure for, for Dortmund. They, well, you're right, though. They, they're investing the money which they get from their big players into into, into younger younger players. I mean, last season they sold, last summer they sold three of their biggest players and they bought in nine, ten. Um, and they've done the same this winter, getting uh, bringing in um, Isaac. So they are building for the future. What I'm worried about for Dortmund is they need a Bamian. Because at the moment they don't seem to have. I mean, as Isaac's a good striker, but it's, again, he's 17. We were talking about how Rooney, how good Rooney was in phases. I think it'll be the same with Isaac for, to start with. He'll be good, and then you have a bad patch. Um, Aubameyang is the difficult one. Will he leave in the summer? He's not going to leave now. He's already mm. said he won't go to Bayern Munich, which is, I think, a relief to a lot of Dortmund fans. <laughs> he's <laughs> done the Matt Hummels, well, as it's as it's known. He, well, what he said was he won't do it because he can't. He can't do it to the fans. He can't. He can't do that to the fans. I believe. I genuinely believe him. Matt Hummels had a history with Bayern Munich. I mean, he came through their youth team system. Mm-hmm. Whereas Obama Young, I think, his his uh, he's firmly set on moving to Spain when he when he does move. Be a real kick in the groin for Dortmund if if he did join Bayern. Of all he the players, average, yeah. another one. <laughs> yeah, but I think there's something about Aubameyang. I think I would find that Dortmund fans would find it particularly difficult to swallow. Uh, you know, with I don't know. you know with Goethe, he was young. You could perhaps put it down to foolishness. With Hummels, you know, he has the history with Bayern. I think his his wife is just something is from from down there. I can kind of see it. But Aubameyang, like there's there's nothing there. There's what no about with Lewandowski. Well, that one I can't explain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to transfers. Back to transfers. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Danny mentioned some of the very reasonable and uh, responsible transfers that we've been watching so far. Yeah. Uh, but I think that there are still a lot of a lot to happen uh, until the end of the month, and um, I think we, we can see uh, some of these players on the move. Um, Sako, I don't think is going to stay at Liverpool. Uh, there are some rumors that it might go to Spain. Uh, Sevilla. Apparently, are interested on on Sako. Not really. And it it's yeah. it's funny because um, a week ago I mentioned that they need a, a centre back. Do you and think they're listening to the podcast? I think so. Probably. <laughs> I think Monchi's so. sitting there in his office. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Uh, yeah. Monchi is uh, is a uh, a listener. Jeez, that would be good, though, wouldn't it? Oh. Who'd be your ideal listener for the podcast? I would be quite flattered with Monchi listening to to our Monchi podcast. and San Paolo. You can just imagine them both yeah. in in their little. Office, they're listening into they're us, having yeah. some nice seafood and listening to our smooth voices. Yeah. yeah, Stephen Perfect. Hawking would be great. <laughs> Imagine Stephen Hawking was listening to this podcast. Just saying, <laughs> that would be cool. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, another guy that I uh, expect to be on the move until the end of the transfer window is uh, Jenkinson at Arsenal. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, 
is not doing anything at Arsenal at the moment. Yeah. You have to be truthful to that. And maybe he's scared of Ars- this new forceful Arsene Wenger. <laughs> uh, at City, uh, Fabian Delph, we 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 forget that this guy exists. Oh yeah, right? you're, you're bringing lots of players out of the graveyard. Here. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's, 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 about these why, names that's why they invented the transfer window on uh, January to yeah. to uh, bring these guys back to life. And Ashley Young might be on a move to somewhere on loan. Um, Any suggestions where? I've heard, and this might be ridiculous, that he's open to a move to China. <laughs> really? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That w- I think it would be funny. Anyways. Okay. Um, Payet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, it, it's going to happen. Uh, and uh, Marseille? Marseille, I think so. Okay. It's going to be around 30 million. That's my guess. Do you surprise Marseille have 30 million? They don't. And that's what's holding it up at the moment is he wants to go there. They want him there. But I think West Ham would prefer if someone who can pay a bit more money pays a bit more money for him. Which so that, would only be a Premier League club. Or PSG. I don't, it's really, it's hard to, really hard to say at the moment. But I think probably in all likelihood he ends up back at Marseille. Because I read yesterday they might be going out on loan. As in, he might go to back to Marseille on uh, loan okay, first. And then that might be a solution. Okay. Yeah. Given his history with Marseille, he wouldn't go to PSG, would he? Probably not. But given his history, you can't predict anything he's ever going to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, um, there are rumors that uh, Jean Cancel pulled that I don't like it here card. Oh yeah, at Valencia, which is not a new thing. Uh, I mean, uh, I, think, I can understand. I think ninety-nine percent of the players at Valencia that they want to go away uh, right now. Um, two interesting rumors for Las Palmas. Jesse Rodriguez is from is from there. Is from Las Palmas. We're scraping the barrel now. Come on. And yeah. uh, the the thing is is probably not going back uh, to Las Palmas because it's very 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 expensive. David Silva. Uh, Reza Rodriguez. Oh. And uh, the other the other one is Alilovic from Hamburg. Oh, yeah. Where's he off to? Uh, Las Palmas also. Oh, he's off to Las Palmas? Yeah. The, Jeez, everybody's it, moving to Las Palmas. He said that he wants to go back to uh, La Liga yeah. and Las Palmas are interested. So it would be a loan move mm-hmm. with um, with an option of a, a buy uh, in the end of the... Of the of the year, I can't believe a bleak northern German city doesn't appeal to him during the winter. <laughs> You're going to the Canary Island, you just just choose, and and, and to um, to finish uh, this quest, this is a personal um, investment of my own. I think Leon Bailey is going uh, to to the Premier League. Is a fantastic Jamaican Jamaican winger. Mm-hmm. He's been playing uh, at Genk. And uh, the Belgian league is one of the greatest wingers I've seen this season. And Sorry, have you just been spending your your spare time watching the Belgian league? I, I watched just a couple of matches, but uh, it was it was enough to see there's a lot of talents on on Bailey. And uh, uh, yesterday I read that Hull City are interested uh, in in him, and I think this might happen. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Danny, Andre, Nick and our producer, Damien. Wherever you are in the world, please go to your local iTunes store, give us a rating, leave a comment to let us know what you think of the podcast. Thanks for listening.
Thank you.